Well, good evening. I think we're live now. Um, good evening in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, um, our beloved Saviour, uh, and thank you for listening. Um, I want to thank you for your question in advance. Um, disciple of Jesus Ministries, uh, subject subject cessationism, is a subject that I intend to talk upon. Again, it'll be one of those subjects where we may differ, but we can differ graciously in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, my topic this evening is going to be. What should I do with that Bible? Don't tell me I came here without the Bible. Okay, you're going to have to bear with me because I left my Bible in the other room. I can't believe it. I spent so... No, here it is. Here it is. That's it. I spent so much time um, setting up new equipment. And uh, it, it's, uh, it's a lot of work. Um, but here we are. I've got my Bible, my trusty Bible. Uh, I use this small one for the, these um, uh, things because it's, it's very easy to flip over pages very quickly in this one. Um, I've got some pulpit Bibles which you could use to... Um, build a house with they're so big but uh, uh this is um this is the right size for this kind of uh, thing that we're doing this evening so my question this evening i want to look at ezekiel 38 and 39 and uh gog and magog this is a really important topic it's important for us in the days in which we live it's written for our days it's written for us to understand uh, and uh, interestingly enough it, it's something which many christians are either uh, ignorant of um, they've heard of Gog and Magog, and they've heard that Russia might invade Israel, but they haven't really read this passage. Or it's um, a passage which has been pre-interpreted for them by various doctrinal systems, and therefore they are led to believe uh, what they're told to believe about it. My purpose here isn't to persuade you to agree with everything I say. I don't expect people to agree with everything I say. I certainly don't think I've got everything right here about Gog and Magog. I certainly don't think um, that uh, um, that I have all the answers. I don't. Uh, good evening, Sully, dear Gloria. And good evening, Sonia. Um, I don't think I've got all the answers. I don't think I have um, insights that others don't have. Uh, I don't think that... Um, I wish I could spend a lot more time studying this. There are so many avenues you can go down when you study Ezekiel 38 and 39. But uh, Mia, good evening and welcome. Um, I, what I want to say is, is that, it, and this sounds uh, um, logical, <laughs> that Ezekiel 8 and 38 and 39 follow on from Ezekiel 37. And what you quite often find is you'll get either preaching on the dry bones um, in Ezekiel 37 or you'll get preaching on Ezekiel 38. I'll be honest, I haven't heard much preaching on either topic but we can divide things into chapters and then fail to see the connection between the two. My point is this, that if Ezekiel 37 is about the regeneration, restoration of Israel, which we were considering over the last several talks, including Romans 11 and Paul, the Apostle Paul's argument, then Ezekiel 38 and 39 follow on from that, that we don't need to be indefinite about the timescale, that, that the invasion of Israel by Gog and Magog and his armies occurs at the same time, or in the same period, the same um, uh, chronological period, that Israel is brought back into the land and then restored and then regenerated and brought to know Jesus Christ as their true Messiah and Saviour from sin. So we're going to look at that this evening. We're going to look at Gog of Magog. Um, interestingly enough, if you Google Gog and Magog uh, with London, you will get led to many pages which talk about Gog of Magog in London. Now, some of you will probably see real significance in that. I haven't been able to dig deeply into that, but except for this, that uh, every year the Lord Mayor of London has um, uh, an annual procession, and uh, very prominent in that procession are 
uh, idols, Gog and Magog, who are said to be ancient giants. Um, uh, that's just by way of interest. Gog and Magog is found in the city of London. We need to read the word of God. So let's turn to, we're, not, we're going to part of uh, Ezekiel 38 and part of Ezekiel 39. We're going to start with the last verse of Ezekiel 37. The reason being that we want to show how these passages are connected. There's no pause or change in topic between Ezekiel 37 and 38. So if we go to the last verse of Ezekiel 37. So we read Ezekiel 37, verse 28, and we'll read down, I think, to verse 16 uh, of Ezekiel 38. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, sorry, Ezekiel 37, 28. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And say, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and I will turn thee back and put hooks in thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armour, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his bands, the house of Togomar of the north quarters, and all his bands, and many people with thee. Be thou prepared and prepare for thyself, thou and all thy company that are assembled unto thee, and be thou a guard unto them. After many days thou shalt be visited, in the latter years thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword, and is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel, which have been always waste, but it is brought forth out of the nations, and they shall dwell safely, all of them. Thou shalt ascend and come like a storm, thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land, thou and all thy bands, and many people with thee. Thus saith the Lord God, it shall also come to pass, that at the same time shall things come into my mind, and thou into thy mind, sorry, and thou shalt think an evil thought, and thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates, to take a spoil and to take a prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited and upon the people that are gathered out of the nation, nations which have gotten cattle and goods that dwell in the midst of the land. Sheba and Edan in the merchants of Tarshish with all the young lions thereof shall say unto thee, Art thou come to take a spoil? Hast thou gathered thy company to take a prey, to carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle and goods, to take a great spoil? Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say unto Gog, Thus saith the Lord God, In that day when my people of Israel dwelleth safely, thou, shalt thou not know it? Thou shalt come from Thy place out of the north parts, thou and many people with thee, all of them riding upon horses, a great company and a mighty army. And then verse 16, and thou shalt come up against my people of Israel as a cloud to cover the land. It shall be in the latter days, and I will bring thee against my land, that the heathen may know me when I shall be sanctified in thee, O Gog, before their eyes. 
I want to move on now to Ezekiel 39. We'll read verses 18 to 23 of Ezekiel 39. So Ezekiel 39, verses 18 and to 23. You shall eat the flesh of the mighty and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams, of lambs, and of goats, of bullocks, all of them fatlings of Bashan. And you shall eat fat till you be full of um, full and drink blood till you be drunken of my sacrifice, which I have sacrificed for you. God is talking about the destruction of Gog and his armies. Thus you shall be filled at my table with horses and chariots, with mighty men and with all men of war, saith the Lord God. And I will set my glory among the heathen and all the heathen shall see my judgment that I have executed and my hand that I have laid upon them. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord, their God, from that day and forward. And the heathen shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity, because they trespassed against me. Therefore hid I my face from them, and gave them into the hand of their enemies. So fell they all by the sword. According to their uncleanness and according to their transgressions have I done unto them, and hid my face from them. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, now I will bring again the captivity of Jacob and have mercy upon the whole house of Israel. The whole house of Israel, that reminds us of um, Ezekiel 37. These bones are the whole house of Israel. Or Paul in Romans 11, all Israel shall be saved. So verse 25 again, and have mercy upon the whole house of Israel and will be jealous for my holy name. After that, they have borne their shame and all their trespasses whereby they have trespassed against me when they dwelt safely in their land and none made them afraid. When I have brought them again from the people and gathered them out of their enemies' lands and am sanctified in them in the sight of many nations, then shall they know that I am the Lord their God, which caused them to be led into captivity among the heathen. But I have gathered them unto their own land and have left none of them any more there. Neither will I hide my face any more from them, for I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, saith the Lord God. Hallelujah. And God pours out his spirit on the house of Israel, and the blindness is taken away, and the Jewish people believe. But we're living in those days. People have returned to the land after many years of desolation. So these are prophetic times, and times when we should look up and see what God is doing and look for God's works in the land of Israel and the people of the Jews. Father, we pray that you'd improve our time and that it would be for the glory and honour of your name, for the furtherance of your kingdom, for the lifting up of Jesus Christ and his gospel and his glory uh, and for our own our own edification, Lord, that we would grow in grace, that we would find mercy in your eyes, that we would, we would be filled with your Holy Spirit and thrilled with these words in this passage, Lord. Father, we pray for the forgiveness of our sins and cleansing in Jesus' name. We pray for the Jewish people, Lord. We pray that the day would come when your Holy Spirit is poured out upon them, the spirit of grace and supplication. We pray for the hastening of the day when they will look upon him whom they have pierced and mourn, and when they will believe, Lord, and when every one of them will name the name of Jesus Christ as their Messiah and believe on him and be saved from their sins. Father, thank you for this opportunity to meet together, and we pray that you bless and use this broadcast for your glory. Have mercy upon those who are mourning and grieving over the death of loved ones, Lord. Have mercy on those who've lost very close members of the family, with the whole family grieving, Lord. Comfort them, draw nigh to them. Be that real, true comfort and fortress that you are to those who cry out to you and seek you in times of trouble, in times of distress, Lord. Have mercy upon them, we pray. 
So, Father, we commend this time to you now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, I have to say, I, I find this subject fascinating. I, I find it, it, it extraordinary. I remember 30 years ago, a certain man, the man was named David Gardner. He was a, a Christian minister who'd written a book called The Trumpet Sounds for England. And he had very strong views on the, the God's dealings with the nation of Israel. He was saying the same things that I've been saying, that all the Jewish people will be saved one day. Uh, and uh, he um, got invited back at about 1980, sometime around then, he got invited by the senior military in the United Kingdom to, to go to Europe and address the top military um, generals in NATO um, on the subject of Gog and Magog. So he, he, he said to them, um, he said, you see, this was during the Cold War when there were huge armies ranged on the Russian side that we believe could have invaded Europe at a moment's notice. Um, he said to these generals, um, you see all those armies that you're afraid of on the other side um, of the border? He said, well, you have nothing to fear from them. He said, all of those armies are going to be defeated on the mountains of Israel. And I agree with him. Uh, now, some of you will probably write to me and say that uh, Magog isn't Russia, that Rosh isn't Russia. Rosh comes in verse 2. It's not in the King James Bible, the authorised Bible, but it says chief prince of, um, of Rosh, or the prince of Rosh, um, in some translations. Um, but uh, but I, 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 right from the outset, I would say that I believe that um, Russia is, is um, Magog and that Gog is the ruler of Russia and the leader of these armies. Now, again, that's controversial. Not everybody agrees that. Many, many people agree with that, but not everybody does. And um, if you, it, this is the north or the far north that, that this army comes from, or it comes from other places as well, we see that. If you take a globe, if you have a globe and you draw a line due north from Israel, it crosses inland. And um, we don't read of an army of so many men uh, coming from Finland to invade um israel and being defeated on the mountains of israel so uh, it it's not it's not absolutely due north we're talking about here but a country a powerful nation in the north of to the north of israel is going to invade and the day i believe will come when russia sweeps down through the caucasus and with multitudes of people to invade israel but let's look at this in more detail now so um the Bible is saying this is an extraordinary event. It's an extraordinary military event where multitudes uh, of soldiers come in with a, a variety, variety of weapons. We read that they, are, uh, they have all kinds of armor with them um, in uh, verse uh, 4. I will turn thee back and put hooks at, yeah, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. If we look at... Um, if we look at the war in Ukraine at the moment, we find all sorts of armour being used there. Now, Ezekiel couldn't have understood modern armour, um, and we find all sorts of armour being used there, and we find both sides using all kinds of novel and new expensive and cheap weapons. The Ukrainians invented a cheap drone um, made out of cardboard. Um, the Russians are using hypersonic drones, uh, and uh, the, all of these things are, 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 are all kinds of armor that are being used one side against the other. And there's nothing I understand that generals like more than to test out their weapons on a battlefield. And perhaps we would say that it appears as though that's happening in Ukraine at the moment. But there's another view which says that, uh, that this kind of invasion or the Battle of Armageddon, uh, when it happens, 
will i'm not saying this is armageddon um i'll give my opinions on that in a future talk but but that when this happens there just as it says in prophecy these troops will be um they will be riding horses as it says they will be using um weapons as it says and there won't be any modern weapons the modern weapons will have been used up they'll have been wiped out and uh, there won't be enough weapons for all this vast multitude well i, I don't know if that's the case it seems it seems to me that um it seems to me that uh, there will be weapons modern weapons used and uh if if you go to revelation you read about an army of 200 million men coming uh, a, a war with an army of 200 million men coming from the east and this is this is extraordinary it makes world war ii pale into insignificance in terms of the scale of the military and the scale of the war that's coming this this war still has to come so um well jason o'brien finland is kind of russia too and uh, that's true and uh, of course um Yes, it, it, Finland is Russia too, but essentially, I think I think this is this is Russia again. You can you can you can look this up yourself, but if you look this up, you'll very soon get bogged down in one person arguing one thing and another person arguing another. Um, and it seems to me that that whilst Ezekiel didn't couldn't see our modern times and he couldn't see the situation we're in, he was he was declaring what God had told him to declare in in Old Testament terms in that time. Uh, and whilst many of the commentators couldn't believe what we can see in our modern time that all of this is possible um we even have this um, poisonous rhetoric between israel and russia at the present time while the ukraine war is going on that doesn't mean that that this is going to happen immediately it doesn't mean that uh, that um there's a direct link between what's happening in ukraine now and, and and russia marching down through the caucuses on israel but it does mean we're living in prophetic times and it may happen very soon or it may take a while in 1991, during the first Gulf War, we thought there was going to be some remarkable uh, military uh, situation that might lead to this, and it didn't happen. Then in 2001, after the 9-11 um, uh, atrocity, uh, we thought this was going to happen, and it didn't happen. So um, many of us have been proved wrong, and we have to be very careful about what we say. But nevertheless, uh, if um, uh, an army was fielded, it could um, cause that kind of damage. Merrily welcome. And Flora, welcome. Uh, and, and James, it's going back to your military-industrial complex, possibly like World War II and other wars, um, the military-industrial complex will not only be using its weapons, but financing both sides of the conflict like it did in World War II. Um, money is the root of all evil. So an extraordinary thing is going to happen. Um, God is um, going to bring Russia, he's going to bring these armies from many nations against Israel, and they're going to be defeated on the mountains of Israel. Um, and and the, the interesting thing there is that Israel will be unwalled. Verse 11, for example, there's several verses that say this, but in verse 11 it says, And thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls, having neither bars nor gates. Now, Israel at the present time exists, and that's, and that's an extraordinary thing. That's a, that's a testimony to the truthfulness of this prophecy, uh, a, a biblical prophecy, that Israel has returned to the land after nearly 2,000 years. God has brought them back into the land. But at the moment, they're absolutely bristling with sophisticated weaponry, and uh, they're not unwalled. And, uh, but when this 
war takes place, they are defenseless. They are living peacefully. They expect a peaceful existence. All of their neighbors are at peace with them, so they don't need weapons. They are disarmed. And it's not just that they are disarmed. They're happy about it. They are quite confident in their safety. And uh, yet this great army comes against them, and they cannot defend themselves against this army. They need the defense that comes from Almighty God. And that's God's purpose in this. Um, so, uh, so now the question is, how, how could Israel become disarmed? Well, one, one theory is this, that, that when the tribulation begins, the seven-year tribulation, that it is a time when the Antichrist makes a covenant with Israel, perhaps Israel mistaking the Antichrist for its Messiah, but the Antichrist being the most evil individual that ever lived. So it, one possibility, I'm not saying this is what will happen, I'm saying this is one possibility, is that the Antichrist will enable Israel to disarm because they will believe they have um, come into a, a golden age, into, into um, millennial blessings, so to speak, um, into this time when their Messiah has come and they are safe. But it's all deceitful because, uh, because then this army comes on them uh, at a later point. So, yes, Jason, so North Korea may work with um, the Russian army. That's true, but you can get that kind of headline. It is true. It's, it's in the news, but you can get that kind of headline all the time. The question is, when does it become a fulfillment of biblical prophecy? That's, that's why we should search the scriptures. That's why we should read the Bible for ourselves. And that's why we should study the Bible for ourselves and why we should um, you know, start to form our own opinions, and we should compare scripture with scripture and understand. But um, yes, so um, yes, so in, in Ezekiel thirty-eight, Rosh is found in verse two. It's not in this translation, which I use, which I love. The son of man set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And I think that is in some, as again in some translations, the prince of Rosh. Patrick Fairburn, in his commentary written in 1861, identifies Rosh as Russia. He said, I know some of you will want to argue about that and say that's not the case, but he, he identifies it as, uh, as Russia, saying that there was an ancient tribe that went to Russia uh, and um, that uh, they were the, the, known as the tribe of Rosh, who became the Russians. I'm just saying that. You may disagree with that. I can't confirm or otherwise. I'm not an archaeologist or a historian. So, um, But Fairburn says that in his commentary. Uh, and um, the next thing is this, this army that comes against Israel is a very great host, verses 5 and 6, Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his bands, the house of Togomar of the north quarters, and all his bands and many people with thee. Uh, and, um, and we read there also um, how much, um, yes, verse 16, and thou shalt come up against my people of Israel as a cloud to cover the land. Uh, an army like no one's ever seen before, an extraordinary army, a powerful army. They'll bring much weapons, in verse 4. Um, Israel will be defenseless. We said that God will defeat the army um, on uh, the mountains of Israel, verse 23. Let's look at that, verse 23. This is really important. Um, so, thus will I magnify myself, says the Lord. Uh, God says that. Uh, and sanctify myself. I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Um, verse 22, then, isn't it? But uh, he's going to rain down fire and brimstone on them uh, and destroy them, that, those armies. They'll follow a seven-month, we're told they'll follow a seven-month period of um, when, seven seven months especially, when everybody is involved in 
burying the dead, going through the land, going through the mountains of Israel, finding bodies and burying them in the valley of Haman Gog, which is basically the valley of Gog Cemetery. Um, uh, and uh, then there'll be a, an extended period of seven years when others will go through the land and mark out bodies and bones when they find them. So many dead will there be, it will take seven years to complete the task. But for the first seven months, every single person is involved in this. Patrick Furban did some maths on this. Again, he published his um, commentary in 1861. And his math said he calculated that for that to take place, it would need to be an army of 360 million men, 360 million men. Uh, that's an extraordinary number. And then he sort of grew faint and said, that's impossible. But we know that that today, Fairburn couldn't have seen this. We know today China alone could field an army of 200 million men. What about if India joined with them? What if uh, many in the many people, what if India joined with them and uh, all of these other nations? Um, so um, Fairburn, Fairburn wasn't able to maintain his confidence that this would be literally fulfilled uh, because he thought that an army of 360 million men was too large and was impossible. Uh, certainly if they came from Finland, I think that would be impossible. It was, you can't get 360 million men in Russia either because the population is less than 200 million. But all of these nations coming, many, many people coming to 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 um, against Israel in this war. Now, um, the interesting thing here is that this this is not the only reference to this. In Ezekiel 38, we are told in verse... Yeah, where are we told? Let me have a look. Um, okay, um, so verse, uh, verse 17 of 38, we're told that this has been prophesied. God is saying, thus saith the Lord God, um, art thou he of whom I have spoken in old time by my servants, the prophets of Israel, which prophesied in those days many years that I would bring thee against them. Now, that's really important because not only is it saying that this isn't just an isolated prophecy. There, there are some people who say, well, it's been fulfilled and it was a local conflict and we don't know about it. And it's not, you know, don't get in a fuss about it. But God is saying that he sent his prophets to prophesy many years about this that he has for a long time known about Gog and that Gog is extremely significant in the old overall scheme of things. God is saying that. So, for example, we find Deuteronomy, uh, if you, you look at some of the commentators, we'll talk about some of the verses that speak of this. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 43. Let's turn to Deuteronomy 32 and verse 43. And uh, we read here, we Read here, rejoice, O ye nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance to his adversaries and will be merciful unto his land and to his people. And Matthew Henry is saying that that is part of this prophecy. That's in Deuteronomy. Moses wrote that. It's also in Revelation. But the point here is that this is a highly significant event. In fact, let's, yes, okay, note, um, the reference to Gog in Revelation. So it's in Deuteronomy, it's in the Pentateuch, it's in the first five books of the Bible, and it's in Revelation. Um, we perhaps have to talk separately about Revelation, but those those of you who are dispensationalists will probably take exception to me saying that this is in Revelation, but it is in Revelation. Whatever our view is, however we interpret this, and we should endeavor to interpret this in the best possible way, Scripture against Scripture, we have um, in verse eight here, 
Well, well, let's start in verse 7. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Now, um, we, we, we probably need to look at that again, but essentially Gog is there in Deuteronomy and Gog is there in Revelation as well as in Ezekiel 38. And this is a prophecy that's never been fulfilled. Can you imagine a situation where there were so many dead on the mountains of Israel that after the time of, um, after the time of Ezekiel that, that <coughs> they would bury for seven years, that all of these nations would be defeated, there would be so many weapons and there would be no historical record of it? Matthew Henry wavers as well. And I'm not blaming these commentators for wavering because Matthew Henry wrote 400, what, 400 years ago um, and none of these could see that the, the, the state of the world as we see it today. What we see in the world helps us to understand prophecy. It, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't, we have to go back to the scriptures and we have to wait and we have to be patient. But Matthew Henry wavers too. And he says, first of all, that this is at the end, it's in the latter times. Correct, I agree with that. And then he wavers and he says this was fulfilled by, um, by Antiochus Epiphanes, um, uh, a Greek general who invaded Israel uh, more than 100 years before the Lord Jesus Christ was born uh, and went into the temple and ate pork. Uh, and that is, although he was defeated militarily, this was in no sense a, um, a fulfillment of this prophecy that Ezekiel made, the return of the uh, following the exile and the, and, and the um, invasion by Antiochus Epiphanes, maybe a type of things to come. And the Lord Jesus used it as that. Uh, to describe the events that would take place in AD 70 and will yet take place. Um, and then what I'm about to say is controversial in a rebuilt Jewish temple. Um, but um, but uh, this has not been fulfilled. A war of this scale, a defeat of this magnitude, uh, 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 a, um, uh, um, an intervention by God and the people of the Jewish people do not yet recognize Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And this won't be fulfilled until it's combined with God pouring out the spirit of grace and supplication and the Jewish people knowing who they're... Um, uh, okay, thank you, GC. It's a love of money is the root of all evil. You're correct. I stand corrected and I accept that. Thank you, GC. That's, that's well pointed out. Um, but even so, it's the love of money that's behind the industrial military complex at its heart, I think, and power. And destroying things. Um, so go, Gog is in Deuteronomy in um, uh, we don't Gog isn't mentioned in Deuteronomy but also we need to we need to look at this we need to see as well the historical uh, nature of Gog. If we go to Genesis chapter 10 and read verses 1 and 2 Genesis chapter 10 and verses 1 and 2 Now, these are the generations, Genesis 10, 1 and 2. Now, these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and unto them were born sons after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, and Magog, and Madai, and Javan, and Tubal, and Meshech, and Tiras. So many of these nations are mentioned here in Genesis chapter 2, chapter 10, immediately after the flood as descendants of Noah. Well, we're all descendants of Noah, but... Um, 
but again, there's histor these things are historical in the Bible, and it seems that God was bringing all these things together for his purposes, working them many, many years before, working everything as God has been. History is his story. Uh, God working everything for his for the towards the consummation of all things when the Jewish people are converted and the Lord Jesus Christ returns. So we have these things. This is this is a significant event. This hasn't been fulfilled yet. This is, this is yet to be fulfilled in such a day as Israel are in the land. They're already in the land and they are unarmed. They are armed to the teeth at the moment. So, um, so these are ancient peoples brought up to date in our current generation, in our current age. So who, who are with Gog? Who are these countries with Gog? Well, we've got Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya. Libya mentioned here. These are countries we know and can relate to. We know Ethiopia. Libya is in North Africa. That Ethiopia is in East Africa. Uh, and we know that Persia is modern-day Iran. Um, and uh, if there was an invasion of Israel, would Iran go and take part in that and join with it? Um, of course, um, uh, Iran would take part in, in, in that. So we have a situation where Persia and Ethiopia and Libya could easily join in a coalition against uh, Israel and, and be involved themselves in a, an invasion of Israel. One of the questions I, I had to ask was this, is why isn't Egypt mentioned here? I find, my, I find myself surprised that Egypt isn't mentioned here. Goma is mentioned here. Now, Goma is, um, some people will tell you that Goma is Germany, and that's what I've been taught. So... I would see Goma as being Germany at the moment. Germany seems to be an enemy of Russia. But in order for this to take place, if Goma is Germany, then Russia and Germany are going to become best buddies um, in the invasion of Israel. Uh, so there's quite a lot of political change that needs to happen there. Togomar is Turkey, uh, as I understand it, or Ar Armenia. And we've said that uh, uh, Armenia is in the Caucasus, that, that, that the Caucasus between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea, uh, that strip of land is where Russia would sweep down uh, through the Caucasus and into Israel to invade Israel. And Togomar, Turkey, is there uh, with them. And of course, there's, at the present time, there's a lot of diplomatic intrigue between Russia and Turkey. Now, again, um, we have to be careful that we don't uh, interpret everything we read in our papers as being the immediate fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Some of us have been burned for doing that. We, we, we found we've, we've asserted things that are proven wrong uh, and we've had to eat not only a lot of humble pie, but we've had, uh, we've been ashamed and embarrassed, but we've also, um, we've also had to repent before God. So many, much biblical prophecy we won't understand until either it's about to be fulfilled or until it has been fulfilled. What we know for certain is that this war is going to take place. This war is going to take place. The Jews are going to be attacked in their own land, uh, and God is going to defeat their, all their enemies, and they're going to be converted by the power of God. So who are Tarshish and the Isles? That's a good question. Now, um, there are some people, if you, if you look this up online, there are some people who want to argue that Tarshish is the United Kingdom. Uh, and and uh, in the scripture, you find that Tarshish was an entity, a trading entity that did a lot of trading with Israel. And um, you find that um, you find that uh, what happened is that, uh, uh, and the Isles, and, and there are those who want to argue that Tarshish is what we call now the United Kingdom. I remember when it was called Great Britain, but... Um, but uh, I, I have uh, one of the things that concerns me about that is quite simply this: that um, in two Chronicles nine verse twenty-one, we read as follows, um, and this is this will be two Chronicles nine thirty-one. 
So those who say that, that Tarshish is, is, is the United Kingdom or the British Isles, um, 29, 9 verse 21. I've got 29. 2 Chronicles 9 verse 21. And we read this concerning Tarshish. For the king, this is uh, Solomon's ships for the king's ships went to Tarshish with the ser servants of Hurram every three years once once came the ships of Tarshish bringing gold and silver ivory and apes and peacocks now I can't my, for those who say that Tarshish is the United Kingdom or the British Isles I find myself wondering why anybody 3,000 years ago would send ships to England to get ivory and apes certainly in our days uh, one doesn't find apart from in the um in the uh, safari park that's just up the road from where I'm living here, one doesn't generally find ivory and apes. Um, <clears throat> there is a steam railway here, which I went on once, and it went past the safari park, and I hadn't been expecting this. So there I was sitting on a train, chugging through rural England, and suddenly there were elephants stro strolling across the fields next to me. I had no idea, then I realised it must be a safari park. But I can't imagine Solomon sending his ships to... England to get ivory and apes 3,000 years ago. So uh, that does seem to me that Tarshish, one argument that Tarshish isn't England. And the young lions. Now, again, uh, there are those who want to argue that the young lions are countries like Canada and America and Australia and others, that these are offshoots of the British Empire. One argument against that would be, if we want to identify the young lions, would be... Um, in Zechariah 11, verse 3, Zechariah 11, verse 3, and this talks about the young lions and gives us an idea who they might be. So Zechariah chapter 11 and verse 3, we read, There is a voice of the howling of the shepherds, for their glory is spoiled, a voice of the roaring of young lions, for the pride of Jordan is spoiled. So the pride of Jordan, so is that Jordan, the young lions? It doesn't sound like the United States of America to me. The first thing is this, that, that if this is Russia invading with all these countries on the undefeated on the mountains of Israel, clearly the United States isn't able to stop them, isn't able to lift a finger to stop them. But there seem to be those who are desperate that the United States should appear somewhere in biblical prophecy. If the Antichrist needs to be an American president, for example, we're always being told that every president who gets elected is the Antichrist in some people's eyes, so it seems. Now, I'm not saying that an American president couldn't be Antichrist or couldn't be a type of Antichrist or couldn't be a servant of the Antichrist in his system. I think that's quite um, clear that they could. But why not an, a, a, a Chinese president? Uh, China has the highest population in the world and is technologically advanced. Why not an Indian president as uh, we learn from the media that India is the coming world superpower, um, that uh, it could be one of those. I still believe that the Antichrist is the Pope. But if the young lions are, are Jordan and those countries, then they're not the offshoots of the British Empire, as some would like to argue. Perhaps one of God's judgments on America, which brings down her pride, is that despite her power and her might at this moment in time, she has no mention in biblical, biblical prophecy. No specific mention, and that is God's saying that he's turned his back on her for her blasphemies and her unbelief. Of course, God has many people in America still, but but even so, um, I come across people who are desperate to, to demonstrate that America is in prophecy, and I can't myself see that. Um, America's power will be broken somehow before this happens. 
and uh, that's uh, that's that's um, how it is. Now, I think time's gone on. I've said a lot. But I think that I would like to uh, leave it at that for this evening. I, I wanted to go. This is really important. I wanted to show how Ezekiel 37, which we've studied, and how Romans chapter 11, which we've studied, Paul's all Israel shall be saved is fulfilled in this passage in Ezekiel 38 and 39. And we'll come back to that. Um, but um, this this is going to happen. There's no question, but this is going to happen. It's never happened. This is a war like no other war. This is the defeat of this is the defeat of um, great armies, the armies led by Gog of Magog on the mountains of Israel. And um, we find that um, uh, sorry, Mary Lee Lockwood comment uh, wasn't it thought that Tarshish is Spain? Well, I think some would argue that, um, and some would argue that they went even further as far as as, as Britain. But yes, I think yes. I suppose one of the points I'm trying to make is that that by saying the things I have said, there will be various who come back at me and, and they'll have strong convictions. They'll say, well, it's not Russia. It's a coalition somewhere around the Black Sea, which doesn't include Russia, even though Russia is in Crimea at the moment uh, and, um, and and so on. And they'll produce strong arguments for what they're saying. And you can very quickly get embroiled with this. We must get back to scripture. And we must keep an open mind on the things that we don't know uh, and look out. But what we do know is that Israel are back in the land. And that's really, really important. What about what about time scale? Well, if what I'm saying is correct, then this happens at the end. It happens just before at the same time that Israel are converted, that the, the Jewish people look upon the Lord Jesus Christ. All Israel is saved. God pours out upon them in Zechariah 13, I think, the, the spirit of grace and supplication. God breathes life into them in Ezekiel 37. That's clear in these passages. It happens at that time. Now, dispensationalism will say that this all happens um, at the start or just before the start of uh, the Great Tribulation. I'm not, sorry, the Tribulation, the seven-year Tribulation. Some of you will say the Great Tribulation is the last three and a half years um, that seven-year tribulation and of course there is a seven-year period of burying bodies here uh, but what what can i say about that i can only give you my opinion uh, and first of all i don't know secondly many people say therefore that the sign that the antichrist's rule is about to begin is that is, russia is defeated on the mountains of israel supernaturally by the power of god and israel signs a treaty with the antichrist perhaps mistaking the power that god showed on the mountains of Israel for the power of the Antichrist. I don't think that's the case. It is possible. There are there are dual fulfillments of prophecy in the scripture. There may be um, an invasion here by the Russia on the mountains of Israel, but a greater invasion at the time of Armageddon or beyond. We have to study the scriptures. We have to draw our own conclusions. But it seems to me that all of these things are linked. This happens at the very end. This happens at the very end. And... Um, and uh, the return of the, just before the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. What I am saying is this: don't don't be pushed into the kind of box or situation where you have been told this is what it means. Um, dispensationalism can tell you what to think, how to interpret the Bible, and say that this is how it is. There's no room for disagreement, and yet there's plenty of room for disagreement. Possibly all of us disagree on different aspects of biblical prophecy. I, I, 
there are, as I said, there are evidences of dual fulfillments of prophecy in the scripture. Jesus talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, that in um, Matthew 24 and so on, is a dual fulfilled prophecy. It happened in AD 70, but it's going to happen again, that Jerusalem will be surrounded by an even greater army than the army of the Romans. Uh, and um, again, that will tie in, I think, with this in Ezekiel 38 and 39. The dual fulfillments of prophecy, we have what's called prophetic foreshortening. So prophecies that relate to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ often speak of his first coming and his second coming as if they were one event, but we have thousands of years between the two. Prophetic foreshortening. And um, yet we ha have had the fulfillment of those prophecies in Jesus' first coming, and we await the fulfillment at his seconding, second coming. But it seems to me that, well, this is why we must search the scriptures. It seems to me there is one occasion when Ezekiel is speaking of here when Russia will come against Jerusalem, that this, that this isn't a dual fulfillment, uh, that it, saying that is, is important and, and it should make us think. If we say there is only one fulfillment, then we're saying that Revelation, um, the army is coming, powered by Satan, coming against the people of God and the, and the beloved city in Revelation is the same event as in Ezekiel 38 and 39. That's, that's where I tend to, to look. If we're going to say that these are different events, we'll have to argue for a dual fulfillment, I think. But that's that's where I'm coming from. If we're dispensationalists, we'll have it all mapped out. We'll know all the answers. We'll know what to say, but we might not have thought it through. We've just been told. This is a challenge, therefore, to think these things through, to read and reread the scriptures, also to recognize their relevance to us in these days. The question is, if this war to break out, for example, if, a, if an army of 200 million men were to march from China and march west, Every nation in the world would be in turmoil. Um, there would be bloodshed everywhere. There would be a complete breakdown of international rule and uh, rule within nations. And uh, the question is, are we, are we ready for whatever comes? We're ready for whatever comes if we know the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, not only are we ready, but we're looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ. We are longing for the return of Jesus Christ. We are looking up. The fact that um, Russia is currently fighting a war in the Ukraine seems to be significant. We don't know how that war will go. We don't know where it will end. Uh, we don't know um, if um, it will spread or if it will peter out and that this is another war we're talking about. But we're very, very interested in what's going on. We're very, very interested in what Iran is doing. We're very, very interested in what Turkey is doing. We're very, very interested in what Israel is doing. And although Israel, I, I saw a video, I think, yesterday of some women preaching the gospel. Or they weren't preaching. They were sharing the gospel with Jewish people in Israel, and they were being um, attacked by small boys, uh, and there were Jewish men there who were not stopping the boys, uh, and they were receiving perhaps not significant physical blows, but they were receiving these women incredible abuse for speaking up for the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the day will come when there will be fruit from their ministry. The day will come when the Jewish people will have their eyes opened, and they will see the Lord Jesus, and they will mourn. And the spirit of grace and supplication is poured on them. Now I ask you, has the spirit of grace and supplication been poured on you? Has God spoken to you by his word? Has he called you to believe on his son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you sought the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart and have you found him? Are you resting in the Lord Jesus? Are you trusting the Lord Jesus in these days? All of these things are going on. The world won't understand them. Perplexity, men's hearts failing them for fear, great raging of the waves of the sea, all of these things going on. But 
the Christian is peaceful in his own heart and his own mind because he knows that his ways belong to the Lord. A Christian is a person who is saved from their sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. They have trusted Jesus Christ alone to take away their sins and give them everlasting life. And whereas there is no other way of salvation, those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ are saved forever from their sins. And whether we live to see these things happen or we die before, we are safe because Jesus Christ is our saviour. He is resurrected from the dead. He has gone before us and he will soon return. Glory to God. Believe on the Lord Jesus. If you believe on the Lord Jesus, you are saved. Amen. Father, we pray again for Israel. We pray again, Father, that you would raise up your cause there in these days. If there are Christians who are witnessing in Israel, Lord, and they're suffering abuse, we pray, Father, that you would strengthen them by your Spirit's power and by your word to continue their witness, Lord. We love the Jewish people, Lord, and we long for the day when they will look upon you and, and, and they will have that that regenerate heart, Lord, that each of them by themselves, mourning by themselves, mourning before you, mourning for their sins, mourning for having rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, but rejoicing and delighting in Jesus as their saviour from sin, just as we do now, Lord, because we mourn our own sins, Lord, and our own wickedness and our own corruptions and our own backslidings, Lord. We ask you to forgive us for our sins, Lord, and we ask you to cleanse us from our sins and deliver us from our sins. We pray and ask, Heavenly Father, that as your people, with many other people, uh, that we would walk uprightly and before you in these days, and that we would set an example to the world around us of those who have nothing to fear and need not be afraid of all of this raging of the waves that's going on among the nations, this perplexity, this, this upheaval that's going on everywhere. Father, we pray for Christians in Iran, we pray for Christians in Russia, we pray for Christians in these nations, Lord, and we ask that you would have mercy upon upon uh, the, 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 our brothers and sisters in Christ in these nations. We pray for Christians as well in the Ukraine, Lord, and uh, uh, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ there that you'd have mercy upon them and help them at such a time as this. Father, we pray for revival in countries like the United States and England and other countries, Lord, Scotland and Wales, Lord. Uh, and we pray, and, and then Australia, Lord, and New Zealand, and other countries, Lord. But we pray, Lord, that you would have mercy upon us in these days. We ask, Father, that your word would go forth with power, that your work would be accomplished, that your gospel would be preached to the very ends of the earth. And Lord Jesus, we just rejoice to know that when you appear, we will be like you, transformed, caught up, uh, and 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 glorified forever to be with you forever in that holy place and so father thank you for, for forgiving us for our sins because jesus christ our savior died for us and we commend ourselves to you in his precious and holy name amen amen now i noticed um earlier on there was a comment on one of my um recordings about but from a man in um, Kentucky whose father had just died and the family were very very grieved so I've been praying for them that the Lord would have mercy upon them and comfort them at this time and help them as they go through really difficult times the Lord if you're, if you're listening brother um, the Lord have mercy on you and bless you and your family in this time of sorrow so I didn't get to read all comments um well Ivor in Peacock's Merrily would seem to be Africa yes um uh, well, you can get you can get peacocks in England, but um, 
when I go down into the town centre here, I don't normally find apes hanging around, um, as you might find in other countries of other places. I suppose you might get those. Um, um, so it's just a suggestion, and you were right that, that some people say that Tarshish was Spain. Um, uh, yes, Jonah was going to Tarshish merrily again, so um, uh, that's right. Um, were there any questions, criticisms, anything you'd like to say? Uh, as I said, uh, um, uh, we should study the scriptures, and if we're going to challenge each other, we should do so graciously, and we should do so from the word of God. Uh, I think probably one of the things I've said um, is that a lot of things I don't know. A lot of things I don't know. A lot of things I know people would disagree with me on. I've given you my opinion. But I think what we can see from the word here is that God has a further plan for Israel. I hope that's absolutely non-negotiable, that God has a further plan for Israel. He will defend Israel and he will save them. And um, I hope I hope we can see that. Yeah, thank you. Um, yes, uh, I, I'm sorry. I did put a lot of material in. Um, yeah, and... Uh, Probably need to spread my material out more. Um, we'll see. But nevertheless, now I, I need to do a second talk on uh, on Gog and Magog. So that will be, God willing, in two nights' time on Friday the fifteenth. Um, and I hope that uh, I'll be able to on that day um, do a second talk, and then we can then we can wind that up. This is just a series I've done on the Valley of Dry Bones and Gog and Magog. And uh, uh, I think, I just think we I wish that Christians would really read and reread Ezekiel 38 and 39 and uh, in the light of other prophecies as well. Wish they'd read Revelation in the light of Ezekiel and read Revelation in the light of um, Isaiah because these prophecies both have a lot of tie-ins to the book of Revelation. Um, can I ask you a question to help me, please? Um, has the technology worked okay? Um, have you been able to hear it all right? Is the lighting okay? Because I'm working really hard on this, and um, it's it's uh, it's a lot of work. Jason, thank you. Good, and Marcus, thank you. Excellent, excellent. So 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 um, we've got over some of our technical difficulties. So I will try and improve the quality because the quality of the broadcast is important. First of all, the quality of the teaching must be the first priority, but then um, technology is important as well. Are there, are there any qu questions? As I said, if people want to disagree, if you want to say your own. Um, thank you, Sonia. That's great. Um, and uh, thank you. Well, it seems there's been some good discussion, and that's good. Soli Day Gloria, welcome, and thank you um, for your comments. Um, and uh, yes. Well, may the Lord be with us all uh, and help us and bless us and uh, glorify his name in our hearts and lives. God willing, we'll meet up on Friday. The Lord be with you. Amen. <laughs>